تعد دبي مدينة عالمية ومركز التجارة والاستقرار ولديها ماضي عريق وإرث ثقافي غني في مارس 2010 تم تكريم حكومة دبي بجائزة القيادة العالمية المشرقة من كبيرة المعلمين تشينغهاي كتكريم لحظرها التدخين في الأماكن العامة في ديسمبر 2010 أول مؤتمر نباتي في الشرق الأوسط على الإطلاق تم عقده في مركز معرض دبي الدولي وتمت الدعوة العامة للمشاركة في استكشاف تفاعلي لنمط العيش النباتي تم تنظيمه من قبل المنظمة النباتية في الشرق الأوسط مي فيج تحت رعاية معرض الشرق الأوسط للمنتجات الطبيعية والعضوية لعام 2010 وتمت الموافقة عليه من قبل سلطة دبي الصحية في الإمارات العربية المتحدة قدمت الفعالية ندوات على مدى يومين ورش عمل وبث تلفزيوني مصور مع الخبراء من حول العالم إلى جانب مطعم تجديد الشباب النباتي إلى جانب كبير المعلمين تشينغهاي والتي تمت دعوتها شخصيا لتتحدث عن طريق رابط فيديو بخصوص كون المرء نباتيا هو خيار غذائي مستدام من الناحية البيئية وتبعها جلسة أسئلة وأجوبة مع الحضور وأطلاق النسخة العربية من الكتاب الأكثر مبيعا على المستوى الدولي الطيور في حياتي والذي سبق أن بيع بالكامل قبل الإصدار الطيور في حياتي طبع من قبل المتحدة للطباعة والنشر التابعة لشركة أبوظبي للإعلام ADMC والمملوكة لصاحب السمو الشيخ محمد بن زايد بن سلطان آل نهيان ولي عهد أبوظبي وولي عهد رئيس الإمارات العربية المتحدة ندعوكم الآن إلى الاستماع بإعادة البث التالية لمؤتمر الفيديو المباشر مع كبيرة المعلمين تشينغهاي بعنوان أول مؤتمر نباتي في الشرق الأوسط مي فيج الذي عقد في مدينة دبي في الإمارات العربية المتحدة في 7 ديسمبر 2010 Good morning, everyone, especially the future generation who are here. How do we survive on this planet? Why do we get ill? And why should we become sick? And how to avoid all that? So I've been working on this for the last half a century, to be very precise. Little over that, ever since I joined the medical school way back in 1956, I've been worrying about this human being. What is health then? Enthusiasm to work. Get up in the morning and the first thing you ask is, do I want to go to school? Do I want to go to the office? Do I want to work? And if the answer is yes, you're very healthy. You can have a serious disease and still be healthy. Have you heard of Stephen Hawkins? 
Steve is the professor of physics in Cambridge who had a peculiar disease 42 years ago, which is called amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And if you read a textbook of medicine, which tells you amyotrophic lateral sclerosis is a diagnosis of a death warrant. Patient should be dead within six months to two years after the diagnosis. 42 years, that man has defied this diagnosis and this definition. And he's still continuing, very productive, writes books, etc. Can't talk, can't eat, can't sit, can't do nothing. Can't even lift his hand, can't even lift a finger. But he's very healthy because enthusiasm to work. Do you know when you have enthusiasm to work? When you love your work. So you have to be enthusiastic to work. Second thing is, you have to have enthusiasm for compassion. You should love this whole universe because we are interconnected. I'll show you very quickly how interconnected we are. Health is a state of perfect subatomic communication. This was a gentleman, Albert Pop, who in 1970 showed that every cell in the human body, the DNA, emits a light. And this light, if it is synchron in the whole body, you are healthy. When there is dissynchron in the whole body, you are unhealthy. Not only that, this my light will probably vibrate with Shankar's light, if I like Shankar. And if I hate him, then there is disharmony and my health goes bad. Can you believe that? So we have no scientific proof to say that you have a beautiful system inside. Human beings are built to last as long as you live. But today, we have changed the atmosphere completely. We started eating all kinds of animals. We have polluted the whole area. We have chemicals in everything that you eat. Water you drink, the milk you take, everything is chemical. So, you get diseases. Otherwise, you should not get disease. So, why are we suffering? Situations have changed drastically. Diseases are not unusual these days. And the most important thing is the immune system. It is a handyman which keeps you alive has been knocked down by our modern lifestyle. Now, how do you know you are well? The best definition is in Ayurveda. Samadhatuhu. I'll read that. You eat well, you have appetite, you sleep well, you get good sleep, and you have enthusiasm to work, and you don't hate nobody, you are very healthy. Did you get that? You get up in the morning and say, do I have all this? You are very healthy. That's the sign. So you don't have to go to a doctor, you can know it yourself. This was the first textbook of medicine written in 1733. Those days there were no industries to influence the doctors. And this was the first professor of medicine in Vienna. His name is Charles Schaspitz in 1773. He wrote a beautiful book where he says, most diseases can be changed by these three things, which is true even today. Change of mode of living. That's the essence of this conference, change of mode of living. True. Tranquility of mind. Last, drugs rarely, comma, if ever, full stop. Now, where is the mind? Mind is a single word in the English language. But in the mother of all languages, Sanskrit, there are five words for a mind. The mind of a child, newborn child, which can just recognize, maybe after a few months, is called manas, M-A-N-A-S. That is something like a dark room with a window. So the child sees something in the window, it smiles. Do you know how many times a young child smiles in a day? Roughly, young lady, 500 to 1,000 times it smiles. Ask yourself, how many times you smiled yesterday? The less number of times you smile, the regular is your heart rate. And when you don't smile, you may get a heart attack. So keep smiling. And when you smile, naturally you relax so much, your blood pressure comes down, your heart rate comes down, and you'll be surprised, your headache disappears. 
Now, human body has a wonderful wisdom. The human body tells you when you are not well. Now, supposing you are traveling, let us say, and you are very tense due to something, then certain parts of your muscles tense up. Maybe your neck muscle, your back muscle, your shoulder muscles tense up. So the following day, you have a neck ache, you have a back ache, or your shoulder ache. And what do you do? You go to the doctor. He takes an x-ray. He has not been x-raying your mind, what happened to you in the plane. But he has x-rayed you. And as it so happens that all of us don't have an identical x-ray. So slight changes is, ah, your spondylitis. So you're very happy, your diagnosis, your name. And especially ladies, so that in their kitty party they can talk. I have little BP. I have little cholesterol. You know, they're very happy because they're in a different class. But all this is wrong because that's not a disease at all. And what you need is, the most important thing is, we need a new science of man. Now, very interesting thing is, we have to look at the human body as a whole, not as a heart, brain, leg and all. Because every cell in the human body, of which I told you 10th part, 14 cells are there, they all have different shapes. Brain cell looks different from the heart cell. But they all function alike. The brain cell, the heart cell, the lung cell, hand cell, leg cell, bone cell, all function alike. And how do they do that? They have a normal pattern. And they work on energy. Where does this energy come from? A very little part of that energy comes from what you eat. But the large part of it comes from the sun. That is why in those countries where sun is very less, and if you don't expose yourself to sun, you get all kinds of diseases. Sun keeps you alive and healthy. So expose yourself to the sun. You see these Muslim houses have a big courtyard. Because ladies, when they go out, put the burqa, but when they come home, they can sit in the sun and get the sun. What thoughtful people our ancestors were. Today we have got concrete buildings where you sit inside, you don't get sun at all. Most of my elderly patients who have heart disease, I tell them the first treatment is morning one hour in the sun, evening one hour in the sun. You need not sit in the afternoon because the sun in India is very hot. One hour, one hour, they all walk about. Very nice. So this sun's energy is a thing that keeps you going. This was a gentleman, a friend of mine, who was working for NASA. He is a doctor, but a physicist too. He is an MD in medicine, PhD in physics. And he was used by the NASA to see that people who go to the moon come back alive. And he had found out that the sun's energy used inside for exercise was the best way to keep them. So at this small little device, he discovered this small little device, which is like a cell phone. I manufacture it in India, and this is very simple, which gives you concentrated sun's energy in a spot where you have any disease. Let us say somebody has a heart attack. I just put it on the chest, where the heart is. Just put it there. It's just as big as this. And leave it there. In two days' time, the man walks home, because the heart cells become normal again. Suppose somebody has a stroke. Put it on the head where the stroke is, and after two days, the muscles come back, so they start talking, and they walk. This man is Glenn Gordon. Very interesting thing. This is a very vital thing for which he had a patent. But he once called me because we are very good friends for a number of years. He called me and said, you must come immediately to see me. He was calling me from the United States. I told him it's so difficult to come there. Now he said, no, you must come. So I went anyway. I met. He said, I'm going to give this to you. You manufacture it in India. Do good to human beings. And I said, I can't afford it. He said, no, no patent money. Free. Can you believe that? An American giving his patent and a vital thing free. Anyway, to cut the long story short, three days later, he meets with a massive accident and dies. So it's some premonition. So this is the energy pattern. Now, when your mind is happy, this is the picture of your own heart. 
how irregular the heart is. This is a heart rate in x-axis, same heart rate with the mathematical delay in the y-axis. Now, when you get a heart disease, this is what happens. See you here, the heart hardly changes its rhythm. This is called a regular heart. And if your heart is absolutely regular, you will die. This man died three hours after this picture was taken. Now, we have done something more in the last 25 years. We have expanded that. This is a mathematics. I am not going into that. It's called the continuous wavelet pattern. You see this irregular pattern? That is health. You see the next one? This is death. Very interestingly, we have done a lot of work on breathing methods to see how the heart becomes normal. Next is immune boosters. Vegetables, Ayurvedic, Panchakarma and so many other things. Now, to publish all this, we have a journal, which is an international journal. And we have 15 people, if you see their names, they are all Nobel laureates and who's who in science. Now, the whole energy comes from the sun. And that sun's energy is given in this. Now, here is a surgeon who had three heart attacks, two bypass surgeries, could not get up from bed. And two days after this machine, two years now, he is fine. You see here, this is a police officer, senior police officer in India. He had a large abscess here, large abscess here. And this was all, whole thing was pus and he was a diabetic and the foot has to be amputated. He didn't want that. So we cleaned that stuff and then put the, our machine there and you see after three months he has got a normal foot again. Here is a lady who had a block. There's a block completely here in the aorta. Just after the kidney things have come off. You look at the kidneys, they don't have a shape. Half the kidney doesn't get blood supply at all. So I put the machine on a umbilicus and after three months you see a large ponytail of new vessels have grown all around the place. And she has got normal again. She's walking any length of time now. If here she's a dancer, she slipped and cut her spine there. The sort of, sort of disc, major surgery. She didn't want that. And we put the machine on the back and now she's dancing again. Now this is water. And water is a structure. And this is what you are taught in the school. Water is H2. Is that right? There's loose bonds there. And you can put any medicine molecule there. Now this, we can put anything. We put a silver nanoparticle there. So no germs can come. And see what happens now. This is a silver wire. You put a little water there, stimulate it. You get silver nanoparticles. Now this is a boy who cut his finger. In America, it costs $60,000 to re-suture that finger. So this was a finger, 16th May 1995. We put the silver on top and then stimulated, change the polarity. Now, three days later, the finger is all cleaned. We didn't do nothing except the silver. And after that, the finger has grown half an inch. And you see the finger has grown almost full. And now you have the whole figure. And if you want to know what the finger was like, that's where it is. This is energy healing. And what is important, there's a message here. Each time you remove the bandage, there used to be a glistening stuff inside. We scrape it and send it to the lab. They say, we don't know where it is from. I said, we too don't know where it is from. Don't worry, but tell us what it is. After several laboratories, somebody said, oh, this is pluripotent stem cell. Mind you, human body can create its own stem cell like a salamander in your house. Have you seen a salamander cut its tail? It grows on its own. You and I can't do that because we get infected. And here is a method to avoid that and you get a figure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Professor Hegre. That was really very interesting. Let's give a big hand to Dr. Hegre. Thank you so much, Dr. Hegre. I really enjoyed your presentation. Now we will be having a very interesting topic by Dr. Arash Rashidi. And a little bit about Arash. He was born in Tehran. He did his BSc, MSc, and PhD, all in nutritional sciences at Shaheed Behishti University of Medical Sciences, Tehran. 
as a human nutrition student, Arash was initially very interested in biomedical sciences. But gradually, he shifted his studies into nutrition, epidemiology, community nutrition, and food and nutrition policy and planning. In years, he's shown you know, so much enthusiasm with R&D and with uh, developing new functional foods, etc. He is also doing his MBA program in Mahan Institute. And he has co-authored scientific articles in 17 local and international journals. On the other hand, he's a language lover and he enjoys learning French. And his hobbies are traveling and trekking. So let's put our hands together for Arash. Uh, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. First, thank to all the organizing committee to invite me for uh, this conference. Uh, I'm going to talk about the relationship between meat and cancer, not because we are in a vegetarian conference and not because I'm an overlooked vegetarian, but because this is one of the main issues in the world of nutrition. You know that I'm a nutritionist, and that's why different food items, different dietary patterns are important to us. Uh, four facts. Cancer is the second cause of death, mortality in the world in most societies. However, we know that in some societies, accidents and injuries are the second one. But in most societies, I can guess even in Emirates, in Iran, in this region, in Western world, cancer is the second one. But more than this, which you cannot find in um, any textbook, is the second fact. This is the first, let's say, cause of fear and anxiety. For healthy people, it may come up from somewhere, one day, nobody knows. And then the treatment is much tougher than coronary vascular disease as the first cause of mortality and death. And even it is a fear and anxiety for the family of the patient, even for the health staff. So in terms of the quality of life, it's very important to try something, make research or do research or uh, find good uh, you know, management alternatives to manage cancer. The third fact is especially because of these two, and of course this is economy, this is business, billions of dollars each year is spent for research and management of cancer. The fourth one is nutrition and lifestyle uh, play a major role. Uh, there is an estimation from the American scientists, they have shown that 30 to 40 percent of causes of cancer can be related to nutrition. Uh, and if we add other aspects of lifestyle, like stress, like uh, alcohol uh, drinking, like uh, cigarette smoking, then it would be uh, a very big share of cause. Because of all those facts I mentioned, in this, uh, let's say, decade, around 2000, uh, there was a group of uh, scientists they gathered together with a big money and they tried to collect all information and uh, research results to see 
which cancer can be related to which food items. And you can see the cover of the report of the research. And here I have wrote the book. Uh, this is a joint activity by World Cancer Research Fund and American Institute for Cancer Research. Many scientists were in several universities in UK, in United States, in Italy, in Holland, Wageningen University. These great scientists tried to collect the valid research, put them together, review them, and draw their conclusion. Which food item can cause which or act as a risk factor for which cancer type. And this is a 500-page report. Uh, you can download it on internet freely. Even you can ask uh, the organization. They will send it to you free of charge. The last page of this report is a matrix, and I will show you there to show the relationship between different types of cancers and different food items or different risk factors. I like this sentence very much because at the beginning of this report, the principal investigator of this project says, WCRF, this is World Cancer Research Fund, I name it, also appreciated the parallels between causes of cardiovascular disease and cancer. In general, recommendations in this report to prevent cancer will also be of great relevance to cardiovascular disease. And this is a very important point in science today. Cancer, diabetes, hypertension, coronary vascular disease, stroke, they are not separate. So it doesn't need to uh, take different strategy to prevent them. If you have healthy lifestyle, you can prevent, because these scientists say after the review that recommendations for cancer prevention is similar to recommendation for cardiovascular disease. There are some key points in this uh, matrix, the abstract, the conclusion of that report. One of them is, for some type of cancers, it seems that there is no relationship to what you eat. You can see here, there is just one, uh, maybe here, cervix. Cancer in cervix in women, it's just one link, a protective link to carrot. But other foods, they do not have any effect. It doesn't seem that there is effect. From the other side, there are some cancers uh, which is really related to what you eat, like colorectal cancer. So different cancers have different relationship to food. The second thing is what is very related to this conference. Vegetables, see these blue boxes, means protection. And the intensity of colors means the level of that evidence. If it is a dark blue, it means that there is convincing evidence. And then the pink and purple one is the risk factor. If it is 
A purple one, it means that uh, convincing evidence that there is a risk factor for that cancer. You can see here, vegetables and fruits, this is vegetables and fruits, this is fruits, and this is non-starch vegetables. They are protective to most cancers. This is what we knew, and this is what we encourage, because vegetarianism is all about the merit of these two. First, because of the different chemicals in these food items, Yesterday, we had a presentation here uh, from Ms. Wafa, DHA, Dubai. And uh, she was talking about the micronutrients in fruits and vegetables. Uh, but actually, we know that it is much more than micronutrients. Micronutrients is just vitamins and minerals. We already know 13 vitamins and 16 minerals, so altogether there are 26 uh, micronutrients. If you take the best supplement, multivitamin mineral supplement in the market, it does have 30 different items. But let me tell you that after analysis of an apple, they could find out that there are 8,000, around 8,000 different chemicals. So why an apple, the proverb, an apple a day keeps doctor away, why? There are 8,000 different chemicals, and honestly, we nutritionists, medical scientists, we don't know different types of these materials and what they uh, do in our body. For sure, based on the present knowledge, we know that meat and processed meat is risk factor for colorectal cancer. So it can cause cancer in the colon, in the rectum. Well, the important thing is this is a dose-dependent relationship. It means if you increase the intake of meat, then the risk would be higher. With every 100 grams increase in red meat, all meat or red meat, the risk will be increased for about 15%. But the situation is worse for the processed, especially processed meat. With every 25 grams of increase in processed meat consumption, the risk will be increased almost 50%. So at least the uh, message, the main message would be try to cut meat consumption and especially try to cut processed meat in different products that you can find in the market. My conclusions if red meat and its processed products are key dietary suspects for cancer etiology. So this is a message should be conveyed to the whole public. Thank you very much for your attention. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Arash. He's shared such wonderful research with us. So our next speaker is going to be Shankar, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Shankar Narayan is uh, the founder president of Indian Vegan Society. He's the regional coordinator for India, Southwest Asia, the International Vegetarian Union. He was a lacto-vegetarian since birth, but has been a vegan for 10 years. He lived in Dubai uh, for five years, but presently he resides in rural India. 
and um, he's organized several events to spread the message of vegan living. So let's put our hands together for Shankar and he'd like to share his views. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm very thankful to the organizers for inviting me to be here and allowing me to share my experiences or sharing my experiences as a vegan, life as a vegan. Mahatma Gandhiji, the father of India and uh, my moral guru said, truth and non-violence are as old as mountains. I have nothing new to tell the world. Same is the case with me. I have nothing new to tell the world. If I say something that is already existing, so life as a vegan, this is the topic I am asked to speak and my life uh, as a vegan for the last 10 years is very interesting. What is vegan? So vegan is a word derived from the word vegetarian. The original concept of vegetarianism or the essence of vegetarianism doesn't allow any animal products, at least in diet, at least in diet. So vegetarian or dietary vegan is one who doesn't consume any animal products. Then what's the difference between vegan and a vegetarian? If vegetarian doesn't consume any animal products, then who is vegetarian? Who is vegan? So vegan is one who doesn't consume any animal products, including honey, and he doesn't use any animal products also. Maybe uh, leather, silk, or wool, or uh, going into circus like services of animals going on animals for a ride or entertainment or experimentation animals are as good as his own family members there is no exploitation no use of animals being a vegan an Indian vegan see according to vegan society of UK that is the first vegan society in the world they define veganism as such veganism is a way of living that seeks to exclude, as far as possible and practicable, all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose. It's all purposes included, so no animals as far as practical and possible. These two are conditional, so one can exempt oneself based on all these uh, conditions. This is defined as such by Vegan Society UK. The original intention of veganism is to prevent cruelty to animals by human actions. But later, they added two more important aspects of veganism. That is, for preservation or promotion of our own physical health and protection of environment. Environmental aspects are gaining a lot of momentum because global warming and climate change, all these are caused by human activities, especially with regard to food. So, veganism is promoted for these three reasons. One is for prevention of cruelty to animals. Second one is for human health. Third one is for protection or promotion of better environmental conditions. We have to eat some food. Without eating any food, we can't survive. Uh, if there is a possibility of surviving without eating any food, that Dr. B. McDay was saying, we get energy from sun. I would prefer to do that instead of eating plant also, because people argue that plants do have life. Why do you kill plants? So I can't survive without eating plants. So I have to eat plants. So we survive on 100% plant food. So we don't eat or use animals for any uh, dietary purpose. And being happy and healthy is a second part of this. 
and that doesn't end our veganism the very important part of veganism for me uh, derived from mahatma gandhi's life derived from uh, uh, many other people and derived from our own ancient teachings like bhagavad gita these moral qualities non violence or ahimsa is foundation of all principles so ahimsa is another one this is a part of veganism akrodh freedom from anger if you get anger for valid reason sometimes we feel we are very angry because there is a reason to be anger but you have to control anger if you have a satvic food satvic food which gives a sobering effect on your body and mind you cannot get anger allow means non greed gandhi again said earth provides enough for man's needs but not for greeds that's why we are at this stage we are always greedy we want to accumulate more we are not happy with what we have we are not happy with what we earn so we shouldn't have any greed being part of this uh, next aparigraha aparigraha means non possession we always feel everything is mine so the whole world is mine to enjoy the everything belonging to me that kind of thinking we generate uh, with more and more materialistic lifestyle so we being indian vegan we try to avoid that possession we don't feel everything is mine so if someone takes okay we don't feel very angry or we don't feel very uh, depressed with that kind of activity something happening to us then dan charity charity is in everything every culture so when we have more we should give that to someone who is in need so giving it to someone who is in need who is underprivileged is part of indian veganism and daya mercy when someone is suffering it is not just humans it is for all sentient beings all sentient beings who suffer need mercy so when they are in need of some sympathy or help we need to empathize and support them with our help dharm righteousness doing the right thing so we have a thinking mind we cannot just uh, ignore it just because it's inconvenient to us if something is wrong we shouldn't do if something is right we should do there was a saying something which motivated me the world is not bad because of bad people it is bad because of inaction of good people if there is something is to be done which is righteousness to do and we have to do that that is dharm we say then dhirta dhirta means fortitude in times of crisis we should not lose our courage and durdarshitva prudence so you have to think if not worry we have to think about tomorrow karuna compassion so empathize with others so there are so many uh, values uh, forgiveness cordiality dietary moderation moderation mitahar splurging on too much is not good for us eating less is in fact good for us finance equanimity restraint truth physical discipline faith purity good conduct ascetism ascetism means living with minimum resources again our ancient rishis ancient saints were doing that even if we had more we won't use all those because we can live with minimum resources patience in the modern world we lose patience at the pettiest reason and having patience is very important renunciation detachment modesty there are so many uh, qualities which we need to focus and develop as far as possible as far as practical so this is the idealism we keep as uh, things to practice it may not be easy to practice at one go if you have a focus on all these it is certainly help us 
to go ahead in our life and improve our lifestyle. So what are the positives of achieving or practicing all these ethos of Indian veganism? Calmness of mind. We cannot live without worrying. So this kind of practice of Indian veganism really helps us getting calmness of mind. When you are calm, you can think peacefully, you can do the right thing, you can do the appropriate thing. We talk about environment and uh, what is the cause of environmental degradation? It is humans and number of humans. When we go vegan, when we follow all these principles, we have lesser burden of ourselves on the planet. Yeah, world population is going to be 9 billion soon. When we have lesser eco-print per person, we can have n number of people on this. Or at least a large number of human population can survive being happy and healthy without causing much damage to the earth. Then less suffering. Less suffering for humans, less suffering for fellow animals, less suffering for earth, less suffering for everyone around. When you practice this kind of veganism, a better kind of veganism, we have a total uh, a painless living. When you stop being cruel to others, when we do stop being part of cruelty others are doing, we do a justice for ourselves. We be more happy. We reduce suffering for everyone. With physical health, I already touched upon that. Uh, being a vegan, you need to be very conscious about your health. Nutrition experts say we need to take B12 supplements. Uh, there are doctors, there are nutritions. Taking their advice, you need to be healthy. You need to be very, very strong physically. Lonely world, you have to be mentally very strong. Otherwise, you feel isolated in this world. You feel lonely. You feel depressed. You feel you can't do anything in this world. But think positive. Think positive about the world. Think positive about others. So, take everyone in your stride. Empathize with others. Understand others. Live with others. When you do that, you don't feel lonely. Everyone is with you. Everyone can come with you. So mentally, you can be very strong with that kind of attitude. So with all these, whether it is worth, surely I feel being vegan is worth it. Because veganism harms none. We don't harm anyone. We don't feel ill of anyone. And it does a world of good. When you change yourself, as Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. When you see change in you, you see the change in the world. When you do certain good things, then that percolates to other activities also. Uh, thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you so much, Shankar. Our next speaker, Thomas, I'd like to share a bit of information about him. Thomas has a master's in agriculture. He worked for five years for the German pioneer fair trade company, Jeepa. And for about 14 years, he's been with iFoam in different management functions, etc. So please put your hands together for Thomas. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank the team who is broadcasting this session to the world. I'm very much impressed to be honest that this is live stream possible. And I thank all the volunteers doing that because I tried myself for the International Federation of Organic Agriculture, where I'm working for to um, include a few members to our site event last Friday in Cancun when we have been talking about the organic agriculture effects on climate change and it was quite difficult and the bandwidth was a problem and I admire very much that this is possible here so thank you very much for that. So wh while I am here I like to bring the message to you how your products 
are produced, where the fruits and vegetables come from, matters. I like to uh, speak a word for organic agriculture being the most sustainable method, and not only that, being even the most economic way of producing food, not only in the very future, but also now. So, the International Federation of Organic Agriculture Movement exists now 38 years, and our mission is to make the world organic. And there are a few components which are important in this regard. That is on three columns, ecology, social justice, and economy. Those are the items which build the fundament and the, and the background of organic. And uh, that is why the method is the most sustainable agricultural method and even lifestyle in the world. Organic agriculture is a production system that sustains the health of soils, ecosystem, and people. People before commodities, that's important. We talk about people. It relies on ecological processes, biodiversity and nutrition, energy and water cycles adapted to the local conditions. Rather than on the use of inputs with adverse effects, you know what is meant by that one, chemical inputs and pesticides, mostly. Organic agriculture combines three things, tradition, innovation, and science to benefit the shared environment and promote fair relationships and a good quality of life for all involved. Organic agriculture is more than just covering market demands. It's not just a trend or a fashion. It's um, a concept and is sustainability put into practice. We have achieved already quite some growth and quite a lot. All over the planet you find organic production. Um, million hectares are converted it's growing and the sales are going up. However, our potential is not well recognized all over the place yet. We have a few reports acknowledging what we did, uh, including the recent World Agricultural Report, which is called IASTD. They are acknowledging sustainable and organic agriculture as the best method to move forward. What are the challenges? Just the major ones. We have the challenge about food security, climate change, biodiversity, sustainable resources, water and soil. So we have it in the conventional agriculture and our concepts um, address it in a different way. So we come as a movement to the point that small farmers are the most suffering but also the most important stakeholder group in when we talk about nourishing the world. They are where the food is produced. They need to nourish their families. And they go to the market with their products. So the smallholders are on, on focus for the development we think is important for the future of the earth. Why? Small farmers are the bulk producers of global food. They are the stewards to take care of environment as much as they know. And we know that specifically traditional agriculture carries a lot of knowledge to protect nature. We have lost it over the years. Before, it was very clear that nature is our body. We cannot even damage it because it's ours. With the industrialized agriculture approach, we have lost this knowledge. And we treat the earth like a different component of the economy, but not as ours. Higher sustainable productivity increase will have a major impact on poverty reduction. So, the relation between small farmers and poverty is obvious. 
Now, where to go? The concept is also simple. We call it sustainability, and it means development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. In a way, a very simple logic, easy to follow. Here's just one way to try to measure sustainability. It's a Swiss study which compares different ways of agriculture here and different aspects of sustainability. It's about food security, economy, working conditions, product quality, natural resources, animal welfare, biodiversity, climate change. There's a study available from 2008 that says organic agriculture has the potential to reduce CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere by this and this amount of gigatons. And that means to reduce the whole emission of agriculture by half or even more. So that's one little aspect in a way. Not carbon alone will count for the future of our planet, but it's one aspect you should take into consideration when we talk about sustainability. Therefore, this report I already mentioned earlier, the World Agricultural Report, IASDD, recommends organic agriculture and sustainable agriculture due to the better land management crop and also because we are supporting the small farms. Taxes I already mentioned on pesticides and fertilizers, that would be the easiest way to go for it. The lobby is not there yet, so be my lobby. Help us to go there all over the globe. This is the way to make it cleaner. You also should see the subsidies which are invested in the wrong way of agriculture, still promoting the pollution more than avoiding it. And if you initiate programs to enhance biodiversity, stop soil degradation, then we are coming closer to the true price. There are different aspects for the external cost categories, environmental, health, and social, just a few examples. I mentioned water pollution. There are climate change aspects, for example, the mitigation of climate change. We are trying to bring it into the discussion with the UNFCCC, Cancun, and all over, how to calculate it, how to make the organic farmers benefit from the work they do bringing humus into the soil, making it a sink for CO2. They do a good job. Why not pay for that? Soil degradation. If you count how many hectares we're losing every day by bad treatment, erosion, by building more roads and cities, this is an aspect to count for. We have to calculate and pay them who keep the land for farming. Price aspect. Loss of biodiversity, how to quantify. How to quantify the benefit to have hedges in between your fields and to make a living organism about your farm. This needs to be quantified and come to the price. Health, you discussed a lot this morning. Diseases caused by chemicals, for example, coming from agriculture. Allergies, social. Rural development and employment, how to count for that organic agriculture brings more employment to the villages. They can keep their work running. They don't have to escape to the city. I like to state organic agriculture is the most economic way to nourish this world now and in future. We are not there yet. We know that organic agriculture is small still. The awareness is important among those who take the decisions both in economy and also on on governmental level, as well as the consumer level. The consumer power is tremendous. Let's use it even better.
advocacy is important to bring it forward, that we have the research we need, the innovation, and finally also the trade environment. For example, harmonized standards and regulations, which iForm is very much engaged in, so that on the long run, organic will be the way to go. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you so much, uh, Thomas. It was really quite informative for most of us and a little token of appreciation. So guys, what are we doing to save the planet? Um, earlier on, Shankar said a beautiful quote by Gandhi, which I also like, that be the change you want to see. Absolutely. It's so easy to point to others. Oh, somebody needs to do it. Where is that somebody going to come from? As long as we do our little part, just small, small steps, unconditional, our little random acts of kindness, each and every day we need to see how we are making a difference. So Sandhya and some other very, very uh, interesting and creative people thought that there should be some kind of... Uh, maybe I'd let Sandhya explain all that, right? So if I could request you to come on the stage, Sandhya. Thank you. All the media in UAE have been very supportive. We've had such wonderful response in the last three years, you know, baby steps going on. We thought we need to bring this focus group out of the Facebook and the website and the different online media that we are in and give it a face. So this Congress happened so that we come up front as volunteers and thanks to Minop, we brought this whole thing together. But it is necessary to have a tool when you want to make a change. So we came up with the Veggie Starter Guide, which is there online available for free download for anybody in the region. This particular guide, if you see, has got why, how, impact on diet, a lot of Middle Eastern flavors. Okay, the food has so much vegetarian in it. We do a lot of presentation or just Middle Eastern vegetarian cuisine. Why we need to go veg. And all those very beautiful people out there who are hale and hearty celebrities. And as a support group, with all the support from all of you here today and from everybody, we plan to start 2011, have a support group in the UAE for people who want to make the change. They want to know how to go about it. So this is one tool that we had launched about three months ago, but today I'm so delighted to announce the launch of our second tool. What we have today is the first 100% vegetarian map of Dubai, which is being launched so that you can have a ready tool when you go there. It's going to be available at all the airports, at all the different outlets, restaurants, and this is our humble effort that has been supported by one of the companies called SPI. You see them on our gratitude banner out there who've come forward and produced and published this. Thank you so much, SPI. The next step is to put it on the GPS system as well. The veggie map. Yes, yes? excellent. Let's launch that. Yes, please. Can I have all our volunteers please up here on stage? Thank you. These volunteers have been working day and night to put up this wonderful Congress. Because of their support, it's been a wonderful uh, ride. 
Our next speaker is going to be Cynthia. Cynthia Gonzalez has been a vegetarian for 30 years and a raw foodist for seven years. Cynthia comes from the US, which she left in 1987. She has lived in Latin America and Europe since then and now has been in UAE for the last 12 years. During her 25 years as a counselor, plus her own personal journey, she has come to understand the rich relationship between food and emotion. Now, that's a very interesting point to our eating habits. So I give the stage to Cynthia. Good afternoon, everybody. I just want, first want to thank MeVeg. I'm really honored to be part of this, and uh, I think it's just an absolutely wonderful gathering and raising the consciousness. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this. So my talk is called Food, Emotion, and Life Force. Um, I want to go into the emotional aspect of food and the link there. There are two ways we can approach this. The first is that slogan, put down the food, feel the feelings. I'm going to elaborate on that. And then the second one is sometimes you may not be able to do that. It's like it's too nebulous to say I'm going to put down the food. I don't even know the difference between uh, hunger, physical hunger and uh, emotional hunger. So what I'm going to do is present to you some examples of how the different foods that you may be craving or that you're obsessing about or that you have to have can actually be a mirror to you of what you're actually feeling. As a counselor, I help people a lot in this. Sometimes you may have a certain um, obsession with a type of food or a substance and you're not ready to put it down. You're not ready to feel the feelings. It's too scary. It's uh, too frightening to go into what's there. And sometimes a guide is necessary to accompany you to go into what's really there. So the first one I talk about here, um, crunchy foods. So crunchy foods are usually to do with anger, boredom, and mulling over something or chewing on a decision or chewing on a problem. Okay, all the carbs. Those um, are filler foods, filling the void, disconnection. And disconnection can be that feeling of loneliness, even though you're in a room full of people, even though you're in a big family, whatever the case may be. But it's also a, what we would say a spiritual connection, however we define that spiritual connection to be. But it's that connection with a oneness. Okay, sugar, love. It's there, the sweetness of life. Wanting that, and ultimately, you know, whether it's love from outside, if you're projecting that you're not getting that love from others around you, needing to give that love to yourself, needing to really know your own worthiness of love. Okay, caffeine, passion, motivation. A lot of people struggle with the caffeine addiction. And this stuff is not so um, matter-of-fact or just, oh, well, no big deal. Okay, put down the caffeine and then find your motivation somewhere else. So this kind of thing is not lighthearted here. Sometimes this demands radical ego death, radical surrender to your truth, even though it's extremely overwhelming in terms of the consequences of what this would mean. So all of these things are signals. And, of course, it's working with them and gradually finding your way to come on the other side and listening to what does my body really want? And if I'm not listening to what my body wants, why is that? Um, why am I using that food to completely abuse my body, to run over my body? And why am I not listening to the emotion? And how can I find ways to do that? 
okay, chocolate. I'm sure there's not one person here that's never eaten chocolate. What do you tend to go to? And where do you tend to eat a bit more, if you've had that experience, more than you really need or really want, or you're hurting yourself with too much of that? If it's just pure dark chocolate, it's just that you just need a real fix with the motivation, the passion. Now, I talk about fizzy drinks like the sodas, and that's when we're wanting some pizzazz. We want some fun. We want something different. We're in a place where either we're bored or it's just things just aren't happening for us. Okay, now... There's a woman, she's uh, been a real teacher to me, one of my favorite teachers while I've been you know, learning and um, continuing on this path of eating only raw food. Her name is Victoria Butenko. She's a Russian woman who emigrated a long time ago to the United States. A lot of people come to raw food for different reasons. Um, some people come to it for um, diabetes. Um, some people come with you know, life-threatening illnesses some with obesity. You know, there's many reasons. Mine was actually more of a spiritual quest. I really wanted to just be in that like heightened and refined vibration all of the time. That was my quest. I didn't come for health reasons. Okay, I show here the raw food diet versus the American standard diet. I would say mine is probably a, quite a bit more greens and less seeds and, and things, but pretty much that's my diet. So you can see the difference. And of course which I'm going to move on to next, is the life force. I mean, when you look at the difference between that and you just think about life force, what are we taking in when we're taking in on the right side? Okay, so I give here all these different examples of sources of prana and ways to bring in the prana, bring in that life force. When we cook food over 42, 43 degrees centigrade, the enzymes are killed off, all of them. They're all killed off. So when the enzymes are that life force energy, when we maintain that, those enzymes in the food, we are taking in that life force energy directly. And it's a gradual thing. You know, the more and more you take in that live food, this raw food and all that life force energy, the more your energy will raise in vibration and the more you will want more of it. But there's a lot of hype about vitamin B12 supplements and all. Do you take any supplements like that? You know, very rarely. I don't need it. Let me speak about the B12 and the iron. First of all, the iron, you totally can get it from a plant-based diet. My body just tells me what I need. Whenever I need iron, I start craving uh, uh, black mission figs. figs. I just want figs, and I don't even know why. And then that's the key. Vitamin A, sometimes I'll have a calling, and I'll go for the carrots. And then calcium. Uh, sesame seeds, unhulled ideally, the brown sesame seeds, which you can get at the organic here. Um, Almonds. Almonds and uh, sesame seeds are extreme high sources and broccoli. Now, the B12, there is B12 in seaweed. You can get B12 in seaweed. And um, I have been fine. To be honest, it hasn't been a problem. But, you know, every once in a blue moon, I will feel a call for taking a supplement, but it's very, very rare. And it's usually actually when I'm only traveling because I'm not getting what I normally need. Thank you. Very interesting. Sintha, that was lovely. And um, now I'd like to invite Anastasia. And she's going to share how we can actually do our own little research. Because uh, we can't be dependent on asking questions or attending forums. We have to do some of it. So it's going to be really interesting. And a little bit of information about Anastasia. Uh, she's an audio engineer, former librarian, IT developer, and consultant blogger, bookworm, the organizer of the Twit Book Club, a book club with a new angle on reading and discussing a variety of books. 
she has been a vegetarian for over a decade and like many turned to the lifestyle after serious health issues um, Anastasia wears many hats it would be an understatement a bachelor's degree in IT from uh, Vulagong in Dubai she is also a certified English teacher and she holds an audio engineering diploma and she's enjoyed producing a lot of live events and currently Anastasia is working on her second bachelor's degree wasn't it enough you had quite a lot on your plate Anastasia never enough <laughs> and this one is in mass communication media journalism and she's also working on her business degree in Intel business juggling two universities book club various research my god I don't know how you find time for yourself uh, really so let's welcome Anastasia thanks okay so I'll be talking about why doing your own research is an important thing especially when it comes to choosing your own diet because it is an important thing so some of us actually when we hear the word diet some of us go oh god hide me I gotta lose the weight because I need to get into you know you need to get into the little dress to go out or whatever so you have to cut out your food you have to watch what you eat but the truth is it's not all about calories diet is something that's long-term it's not something that on, that's only for one or two weeks the common problem here is that most of us especially the ladies the ones that have to get into that little dress, they're thinking, okay, I need to lose 10 kilograms. Let's cut out all the meat, cut out everything. Let me just have one glass of water a day. I know that's a bit extreme, but fine. Two weeks go by, they lose the weight. What happens when they get off the diet? They go back to their normal ways. Their weight comes back. Most of the time, the weight comes back with a little bit more interest than the 10 kilograms that they initially wanted to lose. Why? Because they're under the impression of, well, I was on a diet, I deserve a little something, like a chocolate, maybe another one, maybe some ice cream. Our diet is the most intimate connection to Earth. Ground yourself with the diet. An ideal diet is something that works for you. A diet is not something where you have to force yourself to essentially cut out the foods that you don't need. It has to be something that you want to do. So, why research? Millions of us are constantly bombarded with messages on a daily basis. Some of the messages contradict each other. We've heard a few of those during the past few days. So where do you draw the line of whether what's good for you, what's good for somebody else, what you should be doing? Now, new studies show all food's bad for you. Every time you read a newspaper, so-and-so food is bad for you. A few weeks later, you read, possibly even in the same paper, you read studies that says exact opposite. For every expert that says one thing, you can find another couple of experts that say the complete opposite. So where do you draw the line? You draw the line from within, from yourself. You have to think rationally. You have to do your own research. And some useful links here. Um, every diet, this is where I got the list of over 400 diets. This site, everydiet.org, lists 
as the site says, every diet, but it lists the pros, the cons, the you know, side effects, etc. It's built up by two um, professionals. One is a nutritionist. Their aim is to actually build up a database of basically diets so that people like you and I, we can go on there and we can research the diets in one place. And we can also send comments and reviews of specific diets as well. Has the diet helped you? Has the diet not helped you? Foodfacts.com. It's more U.S.-based, but it has a lot of information on things like nutrition labels, reading the label. Um, they've got videos on there as well, and a lot of interesting things. You can even look up the e-numbers. Whatever is on the label, you can just enter it in there, and it'll show up as what are the ingredients. Is it, is it healthy for you? Is it not healthy? Wikipedia. Probably not a good thing if you are in the education field, but come on, most of us can admit that we've at least used Wikipedia as a starting point. Because Wikipedia, they do have references at the end of the um, article. You can read the Wikipedia info for yourself, and you can also scroll down to the references and have a look at the references and follow the links. Follow the yellow brick road as the saying goes. Additives 2 is an iPhone app that you go out, you show up, you have your phone with you. This is an app that has um, all the e-numbers, the ingredients and everything built in within the app. So whenever you are looking on the shelf for a product, you can just go, hmm, let's see. Yeah, that's safe for vegetarians. No, it's not. Okay, that might cause cancer. That might cause you know, asthma or whatever. It's your body, your health, you take the responsibility. Do not put the responsibility on your doctor or your nutritionist or whoever else. Research is all about balancing the two sides of the story, sometimes more sides of the story, balancing the information, analyzing the data. Once you've got the data, you analyze it, you think about it, you discuss it with your friends, you discuss it with your family. Is it something that maybe we want to do? No? Okay, why not? Because the more you analyze information, the more it makes sense to you. If you just listen in like a sponge and then walk away, it's not going to help that much. And at the end of the day, this is all about being informed. Thank you so much. So, uh, guys, there's a saying which says, take care of your body because that's the only place you have to live in, actually. There is no other. We can't rent ourselves some bodies. We are coming to a very interesting part of the MeVeg Congress, and that is that we are going to go live via video conference to Cancun, Mexico, where Supreme Master Ching Hai will be there addressing all the wonderful delegates as to be a part of the MeVeg Congress. Ladies and gentlemen, esteemed guests, we would like to warmly welcome you all to this very special occasion. It is indeed an honor and a privilege for us to welcome to the conference via video link the internationally acclaimed author, spiritual visionary, artist, Supreme Master Ching Hai. As many of you know, 
Supreme Master Ching Hai is a lifelong vegetarian and vegan who is a powerful proponent of organic vegan living for millions upon millions of people around the world. Her activities range from various projects such as being inspiration for the Loving Hut vegan restaurant. You know the restaurant that served us that wonderful lunch today? She is the inspiration behind that as well. Loving Hut has 150 locations worldwide. And other than that, the Supreme Master Chinghai has promoted a lot of scientific basis for stopping and reversing climatical changes and preventing physical calamities through correct living, correct diet, and correct treatment of the earth and all the earth's inhabitants. This is a very interesting thing, how she is linking to when we bring about a change in our diet, how it has an impact, a ripple impact on the rest of the world. Added to this are her many publications, which show her deep love and understanding of animals and their importance in maintaining the loving balance to life. We would like to convey through a video, a glimpse of her unconditional compassion and love that Supreme Master shares with all those who come in contact with her. So let's watch the video. Supreme Master Ching Hai is a world-renowned spiritual teacher, artist, and humanitarian whose loving assistance extends across cultures. Born in central Olak or Vietnam, Supreme Master Ching Hai studied in Europe and worked there for the Red Cross. She soon realized that suffering exists in all corners of the globe, and her yearning to find a remedy became the foremost goal in her life. She then embarked on a journey in search of spiritual enlightenment, Eventually, in the Himalayas and in India, she received from a true master the divine transmission of the inner light and sound, which she later called the Kuan Yin Method. After a period of diligent practice, she attained the Great Enlightenment. Soon after her return from the Himalayas, at the earnest request of those around her, Supreme Master Ching Hai shared the Kuan Yin Method with others, encouraging them to look within to find their own divine greatness. Before long, invitations arrived from the Americas, Europe, Asia, Australia and Africa for Supreme Master Ching Hai to give lectures. Supreme Master Ching Hai's compassionate heart has also been reflected in her meticulous care for the less fortunate in different circumstances. The funding generated from her artistic creations has enabled the support of her mission of comforting God's children in times of need. More recently, Supreme Master Ching Hai has authored books that have become number one international bestsellers, namely The Birds in My Life, The Dogs in My Life and The Noble Wilds. These volumes, now translated in several languages, reveal many insights into the deep emotions and thoughts of our treasured animal co-inhabitants. 
highlighting their gracious spirit and unconditional love. Wishing to acknowledge others for their actions and influence toward developments of goodness in the world, Supreme Master Ching Hai founded the Shining World Leadership Award in March 2006. Since then, she has also established other awards, such as Shining World Compassion Award, Shining World Hero and Heroine Award, Shining World Honesty Award, Shining World Protection Award, Shining World Intelligence Award, and Shining World Inventor Award. This honor is presented to individuals, nations, and organizations, such as the second president of the Republic of Slovenia, Dr. Janis Jonovcek, renowned British primatologist, Dr. Jane Goodall, and U.S.-based nonprofit Save the Children, whose exemplary works have significantly contributed to the harmony, beauty, and sustainability of our Earth. Master Ching Hai has given much to our world, both spiritually and materially. Although she does not seek acknowledgement, in recognition of her selfless contribution, government representatives and private organizations worldwide have presented Supreme Master Ching Hai with prestigious awards on numerous occasions. Among these were the Goosey Peace Prize 2006, first place silver for the 27th Annual Tele Awards 2006. Los Angeles Music Week Certificate of Commendation 2002, the World Spiritual Leadership Award 1994, and the World Citizen Humanitarian Award 1994. In addition, February 22nd and October 25th have been proclaimed by government officials in the United States as the Supreme Master Ching Hai Day. Her dedicated aid to the world continues till this day, with millions of grateful hearts among leaders and their co-citizens. society today who wisely and courageously express concern about climate change. In fact, for more than 20 years, she has strongly advocated preserving the environment. She initiated the Alternative Living and SOS Global Warming campaigns to promote a benevolent lifestyle without animal products. Be Veg, Go Green, Save the Planet is now a well-known motto that originated from Supreme Master Ching Hai. In our era, Supreme Master Ching Hai is truly a selflessly dedicated individual, tirelessly helping world citizens create a bright future for our beloved planet. All right. We are very fortunate that Supreme Master Ching Hai has accepted our invitation. As you know, she has an extremely busy schedule but she still found time to be with us on the first MeVeg Congress here from this wonderful city of Dubai. And she will be online with us through video conference. And her speech is going to be on being a vegan, the environmentally sustainable food choice. I'm sure it will be very engaging and inspiring presentation. Hello. <laughs> Hello.
Supreme Master Kenghai. How are you? Chukriyam, Chukran, <laughs> Chukran. I am well, Chukran. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. <laughs> I greet you in the name of Allah. Thank you so much for being with us uh, today. Master Chinghai, we warmly welcome you to the first ever Middle East Veg Congress here in this amazing city of Dubai. Firstly, we at the conference would like to thank you and we have great respect for the three decades of work that you have put in and engaging people all over the world to promote healthy, compassionate, life-sustaining, vegan, organic diets. Thanks, Allah. <laughs> Thanks, Allah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. <laughs> I hope you understand my Arabic. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I don't personally speak Arabic, but I've been trying to learn. I've been here for 10 years, so it's not yes. an easy language, and we truly appreciate that at least you're making the effort of speaking it. Thank you. <laughs> Chukran, Chukran. <laughs> Supreme Master, we've heard a lot at this conference already about the benefits of the organic and vegetarian lifestyles from a wide range of speakers, dignitaries, presenters. And many people are intrigued by your topic today on the sustainability of the vegan diet. Moreover, we feel that it is fitting that in Cancun, Mexico, World leaders are discussing the, this very important topic of working together to come up with a, a global solution to uh, global warming. We would love to hear your insights on what you see as the seriousness of global warming to continued life on Earth and what links there might be to diet, agriculture, and lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> Greeting all of you from Cancun. <laughs> I'm in Cancun, and so many great people are here, and they are still trying to uh, help to change the climate change. I'm very pleased and honored to be in your presence in Dubai. Thank you. The honor is all ours. Without uh, further ado, we'd like to invite you to put your hands together once again for Supreme Master Ching Hai and her presentation on the topic, Being a Vegan, the Environmentally Sustainable Food Choice. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. May Allah bless you. I'm very honored and pleased, actually, to be in your presence in Dubai. It's a beautiful city, beautiful country. I have been there. I have been in your country, yes. I love all the Middle East, actually. <laughs> the warmth and joy of the Arab people is so inviting, as I have found it everywhere. In your hospitality, your giving of charity, and your great religious faith. Ah... Well, I want to congratulate you, Middle East Veg Group, for your effort, for your exciting historic First Congress.
And a big congratulations, especially to all of you, Veg Heroes of the World and the Middle East. <laughs> Allah, sure, we have mercy upon you for giving mercy to other beings. This was the hadith, the wisdom of the compassionate Prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him. Through this excellent event and your talented and caring contributions, you have confirmed the many benefits of plant-based living, both for ourselves and our animals, co-inhabitants. And now we can go perhaps even one step further in considering the vegan lifestyle as necessary to actually save humanity and the planet. Some of you may be aware already, but just so that we all have the same understanding, I would like to emphasize again that our situation is already very grave. Human survival is at stake due to climate change and environmental damages. To grasp this urgency, we can pick any region of the globe, like, for instance, the Middle East, to see how the climate change has affected our people, our world, our animals, our environment. Now, if you allow me, we shall go through some of the important events concerning your beautiful regions. Number one, climate change and environmental issue in the United Arab Emirates. The Arab region is one of the world's most vulnerable to climate change. I'm very sorry to know this. And I'm sorry to have to tell you, it uh, is not a very uh, <laughs> it's not a very pleasant thing to inform your friends that their house is in danger, that their life is in danger. It 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 could break your heart. Now, scientists have already reported on sea level rise in Egypt, desertification and climate refugees in Syria, dust storms in Iraq, floods in Yemen, etc., etc. Pardon me, pardon me. (laughs) I'm just too emotional when lives are concerned. You are all my friends, even though we haven't met each other. I have so much love for this world and for the people of this world because I've met many of you, and you are so nice, so nice, so nice. And you don't deserve to suffer at all. None of us deserve any of this suffering, either from disease, from climate change. Now, since we are in the United Arab Emirates, 
We will focus on the major environmental issues your country is facing. Number two, water shortage. Uh, climate change has brought hotter temperatures and reduced an erratic rainfall to the Middle East, including in the United Arab Emirates. Making the situation worse now is the fact that current consumption rates of water are unsustainable. Even with several desalination plants in place, suppose there was an emergency and more water could not be produced, then your country, United Arab Emirates, only has about four days of fresh water supply for her people, or even less than that. Abu Dhabi's groundwater supplies have been reduced by almost one-fifth just since 2003. I think you know that. Do you? Yes, Supreme Master, they are now getting uh, uh, new information because we live in an illusion that, you know, the water is going to be there. Yes. But thank you for sharing these statistics with us. Okay, then I will continue to share more with you. You will be more surprised. I'm sorry, I wish I could bring you more pleasant news, but friends have to tell each other the truth, right? If you allow me. Now, we go to number three section, which is groundwater depletion. We could have other kind of water, but if groundwater is depleted and we are in deep trouble, I'm sure you understand this. Because a prolonged drought coupled with higher use is quickly depleting groundwater throughout the Emirates, especially in Abu Dhabi, where this source is relied upon for 71% of the total supply. Now, especially for agriculture. However, water consumption is noted to be 24 times higher than the land's ability to recharge and replenish the water the natural way. And unusable salt water is now found at shallow depths, even. They are shrinking. All kind of water, not just sweet water, even salty water is shrinking. Instead of reaching water at a depth of six meters, as uh, they did in the past in order to dig the well, now the well diggers currently have to go as deep as 100 meters below the ground before finding it, or in some cases not even be able to find any water at all after 100 meters deep digging. Number four, concern food insecurity. Agriculture is already difficult 
due to the shrinking water supply. Now we have extreme heat and increasingly salty soil. And salty soil we cannot cultivate. I am sure you know that. Number five, desalinization of water, unsustainable, very unsustainable. Okay. Meanwhile, Dubai's water is primarily human-made. I'm sure you all know that. Through desalinization, the United Arab Emirates is the second largest user of desalinated water in the whole world. But desalinization plants use a lot, a lot, a lot of energy and emit a lot, a lot of carbon dioxide on top of that. There are also other side effects I'm going to tell you. They will spew enormous quantities of hot brine and chemicals into the sea. This pollution accelerates the warming of the water while increasing its salinity. In fact, the Gulf's salt concentration level increased by 40% in 30 years, creating an imbalance that threatens local flora and fauna. The general salt increase has another adverse effect, which is to make the desalinization plants work harder and harder and use more and more energy to purify the water. So it is an unfortunate cycle, you can see. Being dependent on desalinization also creates a water security risk because it only takes one oil spill, one toxic algae bloom, or one big cyclone to have to halt the process immediately. That means we will have no water, and God knows for how long. Now we go to number six section, which is marine pollution. The Persian Gulf is a contained environment where pollutants can accumulate, some of which takes many years to disperse. These include more than one million barrels of oil spilled each year from oil leaks and accidents. And we're drinking all that in. Include sewage discharge from all the use the households. Include harmful chemicals, including pesticides and phosphorus, heavy metals such as mercury, copper, and nickel, arsenic, 
are led, and many others. You see how we have to take all this, even though we are not aware. Now, number seven, which overfishing. Commercially fished species in the United Arab Emirates have declined an alarming 80% in 30 years. That means we have 80% less fish in your sea the last 30 years. Only within 30 years, we deplete fish supply, the fish uh, population, 80%. My goodness. Any of you know this? I think we weren't really aware of this particular issue at hand because, as I shared with you, we live in a kind of an illusion that just because we just get ample amount of seafood or we, when we go swimming, the water does not seem polluted. So we just yes. believe everything is fine. Yes. You see, the problem is much of these chemicals or pollutants that run into our water are not colorful, not specially significant, so that we can even know what it is or we can even see what it is. And even the chemicals or the pollutant or the poison, even mercury, for example, that goes into the fish that the people consume, they're colorless, tasteless. So people don't even know what they're eating until they've fallen ill or die. Now, these include many more that are unique to the region, many more marine life. Fish, you know, like we don't have anywhere else in the world except in your region we have this, like such as harmer, kingfish, sea bream, and imperial fish. In addition, you see, they are kind of dismissing or maybe extinct already. These fish we cannot find anywhere else except in your sea. Now they are going, gone. In addition, the sheer excess of fishing vessels and fishing gear also lead to huge bycatch and damage to even more species. This is part of the global decline of marine life due to overfishing. It's everywhere, not just in your country. Everywhere, marine life are declining, extinct, or going to be soon, sooner than we can imagine. Oh, even if you love fish, I'm not sure how much longer you're going to have fish on your table. So please be prepared to have vegetarian food. That should be a very wise choice. Well said, Supreme Master.
I would definitely like to first of all thanks and uh, offer my humble um, obedience to Supreme Master Ching Hai for agreeing to come on the uh, video conferencing. The other great thing was that she was in Mexico in Cancun and at the um, COP. Uh, so extremely well informed about not only the UAE, the world facts and all the environmental areas. So that was very impressive indeed. Uh, it was great honor having her live uh, beam down to the UAE. I'm Sandhya Prakash, founder director MeVeg. You're watching Supreme Master Television. Be Veg, go green to save our planet. I've been happy uh, to be at the MeVeg, the very first MeVeg Congress, where I've had the opportunity to see for the very first time uh, Supreme Master Ching Hai, uh, who gave a fantastic speech with regards to the uh, environmental uh, impact of the Middle East region, uh, some uh, startling statistics with regards to the environment were presented today uh, by the Supreme Master Ching Hai, the fantastic inspiration that she gave to the audience uh, was a sight to behold, particularly in terms of her philosophy with regards to presenting veganism as a solution uh, to all the environmental woes of the Middle Eastern region. Hi, we are all from GMS Charger and uh, we are very happy to be here today because we feel that we, we as a uh, uh, good citizens, we, we owe a lot to this planet, Earth, and becoming a vegetarian is one step towards it. And we brought these children today here because we want them to understand what it means to be a vegetarian and what are the points which they can make use of or the kind of recipes they can try at home to become vegetarians and take one step towards saving this planet. Be veg, go green to save the planet! Yay! It's the excellent food, excellent. I'm not 100% vegetarian, but I will become after this. I will eat vegetarian only. I will uh, stop eating meat. I think... We should treat animals a lot better than we treat them now. We're being selfish by not taking care of the planet because this planet is not just for us, it's for the other animals as well, the parrots, the, the, you know, the birds, the lions, the tigers, everybody. A lot of the animals are going extinct because we've been killing them for either fun or sport. Be veg, go green to save the planet. two days I am coming to this uh, Merig uh, conference and I really enjoy, I learned so many things about the vegetables and uh, about the health. Uh, today's food uh, which I am eating now, it is really delicious, very nice, healthy. It is so attractive and I really uh, like this delicious food. Thank you very much. Go green to save the planet. Yo, 